This episode is brought to you by Whitewashing. Good for interior design and repackaged anime classics. And we're live! Welcome again to another episode of The Last King Podcast. I am your co-host, Dr. Shafiq. Uh, Major Shafiq? Yes, Major it should Shafiq. be Major just for this episode. Yeah. Keep it to the Major, yo. yo let the You've been demoted this time round. Oh, what was it last time, huh? Colonel. Kansler, General? Colonel? Yeah. Oh, I've not been doing well in the war against pop culture. And who do I have with me? Yes, this is Mr. Tuffy speaking here, hoping to entertain you with God knows what. <laughs> and it's me, Eccentric Tom, being once again the vestigial white dude. Totally, totally. Alright, so, to recap, or rather, there's some new re- recurring news that's been happening as of online. Uh, yes. Apparently, there's going to be a Matrix reboot, and they it's might... pretty much confirmed, yeah. And oh, like, it's already confirmed? No, yeah. like, who confirmed it? Like, I deadline got or the, whatnot? I got the information from uh, Kevin Smith's uh, YouTube channel, his Batman on Batman, where he like basically mentioned, it's a thing, it's going to happen. Now, from what I know, the Wachowski siblings, okay, remember when they used to be the Wachowski brothers? Yes, yeah. yes, that Back was such 90s, a long ago, time ago, yeah. Neither them nor Keanu Reeves are, you know, said to be involved, but what has been officially rumoured is Michael B. Jordan, star of Creed, and also that really terrible Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, yeah, these Johnny and Storm. And Chronicle. Yeah, and, oh, and Chronicle, yes, yes, yes. you know, you know, keeping the train train... Train. Tank train. Train yeah. train. Josh yeah. Train train. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was involved in both of those. The train tank. And, mm. like, um, I don't know. I mean, like, what are your thoughts on this? Because the thing is, like, we are now really living in the world of, like, should shit like this be remade? Could this be, like, a callback to back then when Will Smith, back then before he wanted, he was supposed to be recruited to be in the Matrix before Keanu cho- Reeves got the role? Because he chose Wild West, Wild Wild West instead. <laughs> that was a stellar choice, oh, that's yeah. for sure. It's like, do I want to do this ahead of this time sci-fi thing, which is about big philosophy things, or do I want to do steampunk Wild West which with a giant spider? Because I think if I not if I recall correctly, it's like Will Smith did not understand the script at all, which is why he turned it down immediately. <laughs> but now he's also very much involved in Scientology, mm-hmm. so maybe it's a different science fiction movie. I mean, imagine him in Battlefield Earth, you know. But then again, Will Smith in Dreadlocks. I don't I, want to think about Battlefield Dreadlocks <laughs> and those little fingers on his in the nose. Oh um, my god, the little uh, nasal implants. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing Will Smith needs right now. And tilting shots. Yeah. Lots of tilting shots. But anyway, I think that yeah, this is something that Hollywood just needs to get out of their system now. Because it's either no one has any original thoughts anymore, or the ones who do just aren't getting the call from the studios. I mean, this is going to be a very heavy, heavy theme for the rest of this episode, because not only are we going to be talking about Ghost in the Shell, the movie that just recently dropped, yes. and mm. our thoughts on it, we're also going to be talking about, okay, as we promised in the last episode, uh, I'm going to do the full review of Mass Effect Andromeda and my thoughts on that. I mean, you guys didn't get a chance to really go through yeah, it Yeah, because right? I am a very sad video game nerd because I can't play video games right now, at least not very many. And I'm actually busy with another game called Persona 5. It actually dropped really early for many God of us in South Asia. Yes, I have been looking forward to that for the longest time. And I can it. tell you within the first 10 hours of this game, Wow, it is super stylish. You know, your very first mission... Okay, I know it's sort of spoiler, but it's only like the first two, three hours. Out of the hundred, hundreds which you're going to be playing, mm-hmm. you're basically going to be kicking the ass of this pedophile slash uh, bully of a gym teacher in this uh, school. Basically, you start off as a delinquent of sorts. 
because you got a criminal record and you kind of got deported to a different kind of school. And now people are looking at you in shame and stuff. This is like a, a huge contrast to like the previous personas where you're like a mysterious student. I mean, the last Persona 4 was a PS2 game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been that long. And it's so popular, it had its own musical. It had its own <laughs> music concerts, you know, with the artists like Lotus Juice. I don't know. I, even Lotus I don't know Juice. Who the, I don't know who the hell he is, but he's he's got mad rap. That sounds skills. like a callback to our last episode. What? <laughs> of Power Rangers? Oh, yeah. man, man. He's got mad rapping skills. You, you check it out. On, check him out on YouTube. Like, Japanese, English-speaking kind of guy. Okay. Yeah, you must just sound very white saying mad rapping skills. Mad rapping skills, <laughs> yeah. Don't person. try to say elite. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But anyway, the point is, yeah, I think he might be back in the soundtrack. But again, this game oozes style. Like, everything from the graphics to even, like, the cutscenes you see when you finish a... When you fight a boss, your EXP screen, you know? Like, mm. it mm. actually just transitions really, really stylishly. Like, the guy moves away and then it transitions straight to the main map screen. You'll love it, Shafiq. You are a big art guy. You're gonna love how this game right. looks. I fucking love Persona 4. In fact, I've totally abandoned the rest of the Shin Megami Tensei series because I'm just concentrating on this. I mean, even the fighting game was well, I think Oh, even, yeah. I Ultimax. Think even, Ultimax. Even Atlas has given up on the, the main Shin Megami Tensei thing now. They, Not there really. There was the Devil Summoner spin-off also, right, for PS3. Yeah. This yeah. is like the instances where the spin-offs are actually sort of bigger and better marketed than the main series. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um... Although, um, Atlas did mention that they're gonna release a update of Strange Journey, which is sort of part of the main canon, and they, re- and they released Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse. I believe it was on November, last September-ish, yeah. around there. That's also part of the main series, but it's not getting as much love as the Persona series because of its ties to contemporary history contemporary uh, settings. I think persona... Like social issues and whatnot and very progressive ways of handling characters. Uh-huh. I mean, I would say this, like, the Persona series does so well because, I mean, it really caters to the otaku culture in yep. Japan and in a way that, you know, none of the other... Because it's very obvious to say that the Shin Megami Tensei series is like, no, you you can't hold the candle to like Final Fantasy or Secret of Mana or Breath of Fire. I mean, it's not, say, a lackluster RPG, but the thing is, like, all of a sudden Persona comes out and it's got... It's, it's more recognizable than Final Fantasy, arguably. It has a lot of personality. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Boom! Just because, just because of its like, setting, its characters especially. I mean, Persona 4 introduced a really awesome gay character, and that's like out of the blue, honestly. Shoutouts to our last episode, Mr. Toffee did some amazing research for <laughs> male porn stars for porn star <laughs> But the way, I, and there's even a cross-dressing character too, revealed later on in Persona 4. Again, okay. Very tastefully done. Epi- the last, last episode, you know, where I admitted I would fuck a Mulan. <laughs> tastefully done, of course. And that's what I like about this. Uh, even the new episode, I mean, the new game that I'm playing so far, great characters so far, I've only met like two one guy, one girl with the whole Persona thing going on, joining you in the quest to, you know, get through bad guys, you know, because they actually build up this little big-ass fortress, like a mental kind of fortress. You got to break in, steal their heart, and get the hell out so they can confess and be good guys, I guess. Okay, so... Or live under the guilt of the crimes that they've done. Yeah, this sounds like a very interesting game, which we'll talk about in full next oh, week. Oh yes, next week, next week. Yeah. Get a full review next week, boys and girls. Totally, okay. totally. And remember, if you want to keep up to date with any news with The Last Game Podcast, you can follow us on our Facebook. And also, don't forget, subscribe to us on our SoundCloud and our iTunes. Please, 
it keeps the lights on. It keeps us doing like all this amazing content for you boys and girls. Yeah, girl. give us a listen. Give us a repost. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your dog. Please help us. We help. Want to do this. <laughs> help. So, segueing from that very pathetic I need somebody. Help. Oh, well. I need somebody. Uh, yes, you know, Matrix reboot. And speaking of returning to the world, guess what? We're going to do the full Mass Effect Andromeda. Yes, movie. finally. Okay, all right. Starting now. Okay. So, so, should we preface this? Like, maybe just say Mass Effect? One of the best trilogy of games. Mass Effect. Effect. I didn't say erect, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> Mass Effect. Mass Effect. That's the brasses. There's a callback to the last episode. Uh-huh. That's for sure. Oh man, Mass Erections. Right. <laughs> so, so, Mass Effect, one of those really awesome trilogy of sci-fi games ever back in the day from Bioware, yes. now has a fourth game. It's a new story, new everything, new faces. Takes place a thousand years after the first 600 games. something. It's a new galaxy, new everything. So it's AS after yeah. Shepard, right? So, is it the next best thing to is come out from Bioware? God, this game is so mediocre. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, man. Okay, I clocked in about a good, strong 50 hours. I did one playthrough, and like, unlike all the other Mass Effect games, right, it's like, I don't want to play this again. Uh, I mean, it felt so much like, you know, I mean, yeah, running joke, it's returning to the world. This is EA. Okay, let's just say right off the bat. EA is going to shit out another Mass Effect game and they've done it and it's not the original A team. A team has left a long time ago. Okay, this Mm -hmm. is the B team. And that lack of pedigree and prestige and legacy is totally apparent. Because when you play this, this is Mass Effect Lite. This is Mass Effect E edition. This is is fucking Assassin's Creed 3 and 4 and 5. Is that, oh god, we're just going to keep watering this down over and over again. We need to just chill and shit this out. Because apparently, there's Mass Effect fans who are just craving for another adventure. And um, this isn't the second this coming. This isn't it. Look, okay, I mean, I mean I'm not going to give away too much, you know. I don't want to spoil anything because I do know there's a hefty amount of our audience who wants to play through this and, you know, experience the story for themselves. But I'll just say, right, right off the bat, from the very beginning, from starting up, creating your character, getting into your first vision, getting into Tempest, arriving at the Citadel, okay, which is the new Nexus, uh, the, the Nexus. The Nexus is the new Citadel. The Nexus, Nexus is the new Citadel. Citadel is from I the I think trilogy. that's the problem. The thing is, you ha- if you have the baggage of the original trilogy, if you have, like, you know, uh, grand heights and, like, lofty ideals that, oh, wow, you know, the fourth game is going to be so much better, because look, look at the great job they did before, you'll be super disappointed. It's oh, just how soulless and uninterested and uh, I mean, okay, if you like part two, yeah, I love actually all three of them. I mean, I did say the first one was my favorite, but this, yeah, all three I love them like different children. Okay, this makes <laughs> part three look like part two. Okay, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, mediocrity being lackluster is even the least of its problems. It's the fact that it's so disingenuous. Yeah. And at the same time, it's like, it's very obvious that, you know, we just need this product out because within this so-called, I mean, within the framework of the company or the corporation, it's like, you know, uh, we don't have a release now. You know, and then like, uh, what did they give us like last year? It was like Battlefield. Oh, and they gave us Titanfall 2. Titanfall 2. And then... Sims 4 had a few uh, expansion Which packs. Which nobody plays anymore. Fuck that, you know. Mm. I mean, people play that's the Sims. That's more like, uh, we're, we're, we're releasing it because they wanted to, you know. That's our money-grabbing thing. Yeah, and the thing is, for it to be released in this time period, it's very obvious. It's like, you know, we just need something that will, like, you know, keep the, the money train going you know, and bankroll the paychecks of all these executives. And, like, okay, I mean, like, let's not just focus on that. Let's just focus on the fact that who is this game for? 
It's not for the Mass Effect fan. How about for the casual audience? Is it for them? For the casual audience? No. Okay, it's not even dumbed down. It's not even oversimplified. It's just basically a totally unnecessary sequel. You know? And it's like basically them saying like, okay, all these things that you like and all these things you're familiar with, we're just going to redo it again with a different team. And because like probably the ownership rights of characters like Shepard and all those other amazing personalities that you had, you know? And okay, we're going to push all that away. We're going to try something new with a new team. And basically, I can uh, you can sense like it's executives telling all these game developers and game creators like make it like that, make it like this, yeah. do that, and then like probably one guy came out um uh, we I I created this jetpack thing that you know might change the way yeah, yeah put that in whatever <laughs> you know that's how it feels like it's like all these it's not even incremental improvements it's more like what can we fit in and how much references and how how much things that other people love and appreciate. How do we resell them the same thing again? Yeah. Okay, I've heard from my friends that the combat has tweaked a little bit, like with the jetpack. So One thing, yeah, how, big dif- how, how big of a difference does this make? I mean, it's like gameplay-wise, it's still a solid Mass Effect shooter. I mean, I love the fact that the jetpack kind of changes the game a little bit. I mean, not too much, but it's like the original Mass Effect was pretty much hot of the heels of games like Gears of War, yeah. where it's cover-based shooting and it's a little bit more tactical. Whereas this, because of the jetpack and the jet dash uh, kind of uh, the mechanic, I mean, mm-hmm. the game feels a little bit more fast-paced, a little bit more, I would say, um, I mean, not as clunky as Mass Effect 1. Yeah, it's no Twitch reaction shooter, but... It's no, it's not. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost as good as Vanquish, but still few and far between. I mean, like, the, the way of you able to dodge and move and weave, where it's less about hiding behind like chest high walls and more about flanking and positioning mm. and once you get your psionic powers in like you know maxed out mm. you can do even more amazing things like my character I like I'm not even a soldier shooter I've turned my character into like an epic cyber ninja <laughs> okay. because it's like I'm just putting all my points into melee attacks and all that and it's like this is so much more efficient for some reason and I think that's one thing I would definitely... Okay, okay, here's a plus point. Like, the skill trees and the abilities are a little bit expanded, okay? And I know that you can swap out the different archetypes as well, so if you... But not a different weapon, which is strange. Yeah. You know, in the middle of a fight, it's like, okay, you can kind of uh, overcome a situation just by putting, like, you know, a different skill set in place. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like, you know, it adds to the, your, like, stuff like character development, or it doesn't add to stuff like, uh, you know, making the challenge even more... I would say, you know, intuitive, like, you know, you don't react to things, it's just like, oh, if I just, you know, okay, like, this enemy is too strong, yeah, I'll just put more, I'll just be the the powerful shooter guy, you know, you know I'm not the robot ninja anymore, then, like, alright, so I think, like, for me, being a challenge hit, like, yeah, none of the fights really stand out as, like, oh, okay, that was, you know, an effort, you know, I mean, uh, so, in a, in a sense, like, it's a great shooter, but as an RPG, I mean, I'm pretty sure you, John, you know, you would find this totally lacking in terms of story, character development. Oh, and, and speaking of characters, did you find anyone in the game at all after your 50, 60 hours of playthrough? Anyone memorable at the least? PB, maybe? <laughs> the cute little alien girl? Oh, yeah. PB. Okay, who's PB again? Sorry. Uh, she's one of your crew and she is like... She's this... an Asari who... Oh, the crazy Asari, right? Yeah, the... she's kind of sassy. I mean, I, I just remember, like, you know, she had the best comic relief moments. But, okay, I need to be super honest. I'm the kind of guy who skips through cutscenes and dialogue trees. Uh... And speaking of dialogue trees, man, the limitations. Oh, okay, that bad. <laughs> Which is huh? weird because apparently they have something like 400,000 lines of spoken dialogue How in this game. How limited can we get? 
Okay, so like, remember much. back in the day when you would play a Mass Effect game and you'd be given the option, yes, no, puncher? Oh, <laughs> I, I remember that one. Mm. I think that was part two. I think that was part two. No, it was part one as well. Part when one you had that too. When yeah. you met uh, the reporter and yeah, yeah, very, she really was being game. very oh, mean. No, the reporter was part two. Part one was, uh, there was a bit more depth to it. There was a Paragon Renegade thing in part two that was introduced in part two. Mm. I'm sure you could still punch her in the first one, but it was, you know, when you had to have Renegade points enough to say, I don't like what you're trying to ask me. Smack. Uh, right, right, right. The well, Paragon option was to just say, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. Oh, I, I would say sound. this, right? This Mass Effect game felt like they had just one story and then they just like uh, brushed it out into two possible arcs. And then it's like, all the dialogue tree is basically yes, no, yes, no. There isn't even that, like back in the day, you had maybe, or you maybe had don't react. And now it felt so streamlined. Mm. In the sense, like, it doesn't feel as open as like, like the choices you make don't seem to uh, affect the ending at all. Like you uh. have probably two or three endings, max. That's how I feel. I mean, this is only on one play- playthrough. And I did my best to be as nice as possible and as helpful as possible. But at the same time, it's like, you know, even if I said no or whatever, I don't think it will affect the outcome as much as, like, you know, how groundbreaking Mass Effect 2 was. Yeah, do you think that's a problem we just have in the modern game industry? Because that was a big criticism of Fallout 4, where the dialogue became so dumbed down to it just became, yes, no, defend the outpost. I wouldn't say dumbed down. I would say, like, you know, it's the illusion of choice. Uh-huh. In the sense where, like, you know, okay, uh, it's not as expensive as it is, but to just kind of, you know, make it feel like you have, you know, a, like a, some sort of say in how this story goes. This didn't, didn't seem like they actually make an effort here. They didn't, yeah. It's obvious. You can, you can tell it's like basically they, they pre-planned things and then they just did whatever they could to have you arrive at whatever logical conclusion based on your choices. But it's not as if you had like 10 possible endings with like all these mini outcomes, like the death of certain characters don't feel as important all of a sudden. Are there any major character deaths in this game? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> But, as I said before, it's like, I didn't really feel like, okay, you know. I mean, the thing is, the characters were so bland. So it wasn't warranted. There, wa- there wasn't enough emotional attachment for me. There was no Ashley Caden, uh, Sophie's there, Choice. Yes, you know, there was none. Probably, but the thing is, this is based off one playthrough. Yeah. And the thing is, I did my best to please everybody. And, okay, that's one thing that kind of got annoying. Because when you arrive at the Citadel, at the, at the Nexus. Nexus, yeah. bad, yeah. You know, it's, it's literally this. Like, the, the whole point of the game is... You are a writer. You are the pathfinder, okay? There's this big baddie, this new alien race that's gonna fuck up the universe and then yeah, you're on this mission and then you end up at this place and then it's like literally like, oh, God, you guys are here. Like, our, our, our lights don't work and like there's no water and these people are hungry and can you get me these five specific things from that place <laughs> yeah it's there? like motherfucker I'm not the plumber I'm here <laughs> yeah. to find a new and, world and, <laughs> I'm your goddamn savior damn it and, no, like, in, in, in a sense it's like oh okay all these menial tasks sure and it, that's probably the biggest problem I have with this game is the amount of fucking filler in between because like as beautiful and as well designed and crafted as these stages are mm-hmm. you really have nothing to do <laughs> Uh, so it feels very hollow right it's extremely hollow and like okay don't get me wrong uh, the worlds you visit you know all the the different worlds they're huge and it's kind of fun just milling around on the nomad and just like you know seeing things pop up so the nomad's actually fun to use compared to the Mako from oh fuck the (laughs) (laughs) Mako are they space monkeys or space cows 
when you wander around. A shady looking um, space car which steals your credits <laughs> when you're not looking. Could have been a space car. I'm not sure, man. I wasn't really paying attention. I was too busy fucking gathering these five rocks <laughs> oh that God. this guy needed so that we can unlock another stage. Because that's what I, I felt like I was doing. Instead of like being immersed in this world or like learning to care about all these uh, you know characters and all these subplots, I was just like, okay, let's just get this over with. What do you need right now? Because I need you to unlock this level or this part of the world. Okay, here, I got it for you. And then here's the next thing and the next thing. And the thing is, it's a substantial amount of side quests and like side missions. But at the same time, it's like, it's so empty. So it's, it feels very checklisty. It's extremely it's like, checklisty. It's oh like, my okay, god. Like, you know, to get from here to here to here to here, like all these stop gaps. And then like, okay, there's also the monolith sections, which like feel really out of place, but for some strange reason, uh, like for some strange reason, it's, it's a nice distraction. Yeah. Because like how you unlock uh, worlds and make them viable. Now, making a world viable is like, mm, I wouldn't say important to the story, but important to uh, expanding the universe and yeah. unlocking things, right? So you have to find these monoliths. And then when you arrive at these monoliths, there's a very simple Sudoku-ish kind of puzzle game. I've heard of that, to, yeah. Yeah, when you need to unlock it and like, alright, you know, and like from all the shooting and killing and from all the side questing and gathering and fetch quests and like escort missions, it's like, alright. I need to do this. It's like, it feels to me like, oh, remember when we did this in Bioshock? Like a superior game. Oh. We have something like that too. Mm. And then you have jumping puzzles in the monolith. Uh, okay. And jumping puzzles should have died since Half-Life 2. Okay? Like, no! FP, like, do you at least land on the platforms properly? You gotta like, press like, little, like, uh, symbols on the ground to unlock this platform, to unlock another platform, to like, okay, now the monolith is like, activated. And the thing is like, if you're playing games like Breath of the Wild, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Oh look, a game where it does that better. You know? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. No, oh, I have I have a bone to pick with Breath of the Wild, but anyway, carry on. Carry There's on. one last thing I want to ask you about. Um we were promised some very steamy sex scenes by the lead game designer. <laughs> Did you get any of that steamy poon tank? Oh man. And most importantly, who? Steamy. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you if you find like texture popping and weird facial animations, like <laughs> erotic. So yeah. so it's like a dead eye character from Poser. Oh god, looking. a lot of dead eyes. <laughs> just like, <laughs> like you know, just talking to these people and asking them for things. Like oh, I need a certain alloy to like oh, and this guy just like staring at you, and <laughs> it's like weird unanimated face. I mean like okay. the herpy derps. Oh gosh. Okay, <laughs> technical problems aside, you know. I mean like yeah, I've heard that uh, it's not really running that well on PS4 and on Xbox. Oh, I mean, serious? A lot, a lot of people are complaining mostly about frame rate issues. Yeah. And texture pop-ins and stuff like that. I mean, I haven't encountered any mad glitching. There was like one occasion where like a character fell through the geometry. <laughs> okay. Like it's like, "Oh, where do you go?" Oh, he just fell into the ground. Uh, did, did I need to talk to him? Oh, fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going on. And like, um, I guess it's like, to round off this review, right, if you loved Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3, just prepare to be disappointed. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, just so set yourself up for like, oh, <coughs> hey, you know, like, we're going to have another amazing experience? Probably not. That's your box quote right there okay. from Major Shafiq. Mm -hmm. Major Shafiq. So, Major Shafiq, if you had to give it a completely arbitrary number, what would it be? Five. Five. Five because uh, decent gunplay. I like that a lot. I like the fact that you can uh, develop your character. And you, I mean, options. I, I thought you'd be putting it lower. I mean, four is gameplay, and then everything else, not that good. <laughs> well, I did kind of like running around the nomad. It was okay. kind of fun, just you know, like you know, exploring these worlds and just like looking at it, like oh, somebody actually built this 
Fan Dune. This is quite pretty. Okay, okay. I mean, most open world games, they do have that kind of tranquil feeling. It was boring and mediocre, but at least there was like enough incentive for me to just keep going and to beat the game in time for the review. And that's the thing. If I didn't have to review it, I wouldn't even have bothered. Ah, is it worth yeah. for someone to pay 60 bucks for it or just wait for a discount? Fuck no, fuck no, no. So wait for the winter sale. Wait for sale. a discount, wait for uh, the, the origin state. Stale. <laughs> origin stale. 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 The stale, stale, stale. stale You know, like these games, hey, please pay money for this. Uh, don't bother with the digital deluxe edition because I think the editions are totally like, you know, crap anyway. Yeah, mm. so there's no day one entirely required DLC to make it. We don't know, man. It might be a week. One like, hey, remember all those things you also like from Mass Effect Three? We added them in finally. Oh, yeah. here's more skins. We have a Protheon. Hmm. Why? <laughs> Where did it come from? Here's that gun. You. Remember? I should thank you for making me save 60, 70 bucks. Yeah, so I mean, I'm gonna wait. I'm yeah. gonna wait. I mean, I would just say this, right? If you haven't played a Mass Effect game, go back to the classics. You know, start at two. I mean, I, if I, you're wait, on wait. a budget. Play one because hey, it's like five bucks on Steam. Wait, yeah. wait, that's a trilogy out basically. You can just get uh, get it as a bundle if but I recall, Origin, right? right? It's on fucking Origin though. Damn it! <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Fifty dollars for three games. You can uh, just buy. And them. you don't even get the DLC with that as well. It's not the. Good. Wait, what? Are you serious? Yeah. What had, the fuck, man? I had a look at um, yeah, for Mass Effect Two, they don't have you know the bit where you have to save the Batarian homeworld. They don't have, you know, where you find that autistic um guy in the computer. It's. None of that. You still have to buy those extra bits of DLC. Okay, if there's anyone who's responsible in Origin doing this, I'm going to punch you in the face for it, not mean, including that. I mean, you, you, you got to blame EA. Okay, blame EA and EA, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I play some executive there. Not, no, they do not deserve this, you know. Game of the Year edition, what is this you? nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> Game of the Year has been 10 years. Oh, <laughs> my God. Oh, yeah, feel dirty. Ugh. Just, I mean, like I said before, play part two. That's all you need. If you want the full Mass Effect experience, okay, you can get Mass Effect 1 very cheap on Steam. Mm-hmm. You can get Part 2 on Origin. Eh. I think you can also get Part 2 on Steam as well. I think so. Oh. Yeah, you just can't get Part 3 part on three. Steam. Part and 3 is when they made it Origin exclusive. And Part 3 is the weakest of the three. So, like, yeah, I mean... If you're a completionist and you want to see how your choices pan out... all three, yes. Yeah. And, get the, and get the Citadel DLC or so you wouldn't you get have, disappointed. Yeah. If you still own an Xbox 360. I'm pretty sure it's very cheap in some bargain bin somewhere. It's worth the trouble. It's probably like a ten dollar, fifteen dollar game by now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, go for it. You know that is the definitive experience. Yeah. And that is Major Shafiq's awesome review of the not that awesome Mass <laughs> Effect Andromeda. Speaking of not that awesome, after the break, we're going to dive into. <sighs> 1997 Ghost in the Shell. 1995. Oh, 19, 2017 goes in the shell. 2017 goes in the shell. Yeah, so we're going to dive into that, but first we're going to take a big quick break. Please remember to subscribe to us on our SoundCloud and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're on our website, thelastking.net. Indeed, our, our website. So we'll be back with you momentarily. This is Major Shafiq. This is my favorite podcast in the Citadel, the Last King Podcast. Go to the website, <laughs> www.thelastking.net. Follow on the social media at Last King Podcast. They're on Instagram, Twitter, and also subscribe and listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Punch her in the face. <laughs>
Alright, so with Ghost in the Shell out in cinemas and Death Note coming soon for Netflix, I feel that this little segment that I've just brought up is gonna be appropriate. Just, you know, like back then, for every decent adaptation, there are like terrible ones. I mean, you guys remember Attack of Titan, right? Oh god, uh, that was such a bad idea. And it was not just one movie, it was two, right? Well, I didn't even see the second one. Did it get better? No, no of course not. What well, the we can, hell? We can go back even further. Who remembers Dragon Ball Z? Oh adaptation? yeah, that, that quote-unquote fateful adaptation. Oh god, even the King uh, of Fighters one. Technically, yeah, not an anime or a manga. But it still hurts but so deep. I don't know. I mean, like, it's very hit and miss whenever you uh, expect Hollywood to take something that is so, like, you know... So steep in Japanese culture and so, so steep, steep in, in philosophies a- and whatnot. Yeah, just Asian culture full stop. Yeah. I think and that's... And Americanizing it. That's just... Mm. Ugh. So, I just like to make this little segment called Leave Japan Alone, Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. That's the official title for this. I'm but loving the title. The subtitle is Top 5 Anime Slash Manga We Don't Want to See Being Adapted Live by I would, Hollywood. I think Ever. We, what we need to do is you need to stick with Leave Japan Alone and like we add a racist gong. <laughs> 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 I'll see what I can find on the... Uh, uh, this show is brought to you by 70s references you may not know because you're too young. Mrs. Goraidri! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yes, leave Japan alone. God damn it. Right, even so, Japan. Japan should leave Japan alone. I can't even say this in a straight face. Number five. I will go with... Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yes! <laughs> leave this alone. So, speaking as a very ignorant white man... What the fuck is the, whatever you, the words you just said? <laughs> okay, Neon, Neon Genesis, Genesis Evangelion is a very, how do you say, a very iconic show about giant robots that bleed, that bleed, who uh-huh. fight angels with angst, and a lot of, and a shitload of Ray Ayanami clones, and very jarring nudity here and, and there. Uh, yeah, yeah, and a lot of like Christian pseudo Judaism references, yeah, steeped in a lot of yeah. and mythological lore and stuff. Mm. Yeah. So it got really epic in 13 episodes with a pretty weird ending where people started clapping at the end. Dude, imagine the fuck you with the movies. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) And then they actually had a proper ending as a a feature-length film. That was how iconic and how people crave for this shit. And there was a really good, like, uh, adaptation, anime adaptation of it. Like, uh, 1.0, 2.0, 3.3. I think there's a part 4 coming out. Or maybe it's out. I'm not too sure. But... Yeah, this is one of those shows where it's so grand in scale, so grand in its old thoughts and everything that just having an American adaptation of it is going to be like Pacific Rim with a little bit of talking and stuff. But okay, I'm you're, glad you brought that up. You're yeah. making it sound kind of appealing. So if I was here as a suit based in Hollywood, <laughs> I'd be like, so tell me more about this. Neon Genesis. Neon Genesis. Neon Genesis. Or Evangelion, if you're American. <laughs> they keep saying it. I don't know, there's just some, a lot of things where, okay, having a Japanese kid living through this really shitty period of like, angels, giant aliens coming out to attack and having this whole like, prophecy being opened up with a bunch of, it can work as a sci-fi thing, but I don't know, it's, Okay, so Hollywood's hearing... His characters, his characters, yes. Hollywood's hearing poor white boy living in suburban Chicago. No, no, that will not work. I don't know, it's... Dude, uh, yeah, I can imagine the gritty reboot. Okay, but if you had to remake this, I'm, I'm glad you brought Pacific Rim, because Guillermo del Toro would probably be the perfect guy mm-hmm. to pull this off, but he has already got Pacific Rim, and that yeah, is yeah. all the otaku love that, you know, 
you know the the giant kaiju genre, giant robot mech genre needs right now. I guess so. I guess so. So I guess the Neon Genesis Evangelion name won't be touched. Won't be. I don't know. I mean, has there been that. any announcements to remake this at Fuck all? Fuck no. Thank God for that. Yeah, honestly. I haven't heard anything in any sphere. Mm. But you betcha there's a uh, first write-up sitting on some executive desk Yeah, there's somewhere. some treatment somewhere that somebody yeah. has on, like, you know, on standby. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I mean, why would you choose this in your list? I mean, like, the thing is, the giant robot, the giant See, monster thing, the train, the train is... The train rolling. is there, but the whole philosophical talks and whatnot, and the character building relationship thing with the guy, with, with, with Shinji and Rei, the clones, his Japanese dad, his Japanese mentors and stuff, it's just something that just couldn't actually translate really well. But I would think in, like, you know, Trump's America, like, maybe if the the angels and the Christians were correct. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe. I mean, I'm going to be a bit open-minded too. You are but saying a lot of things which I think can sell well in America because you have that Christian ideology and, okay, yeah, there might be some very heavy Japanese kind of discussion which happens, but, you know, America's have other issues as well. I guess this is why I put it sort of low on the list because if there's even an inkling of it being adapted, the work who knows I mean the right hands anything could work Again, but this, right this is your list Mr. Toffee I know I know, I know. So, yeah, yeah. My, my fourth one is actually Ramahaf Ramahaf? yeah that's a that's a comedy which I don't think it's nuances everything won't translate well as an American comedy I agree yeah there's American just so much trans- kung fu going on there's so yeah. much even mixing in like Chinese like mythologies and stuff going in as well like, there's just so much parables and whatnot, laced with its all kung fu and things comedy that probably won't work as a live adaptation. So, what's it called again, sorry? Uh, Ran Maha. So, it's a Ran- story about of a guy who can transform to a girl with a touch of water. Hot water. Hot water. Hot water. <laughs> and her dad, uh, his dad, her dad also, <laughs> is got the same affliction where he can transform into a panda who speaks only in signboards. And then there's this amazing uh, girl named Shampoo who transforms into a cute kitty cat. And then there's uh, every girl's favorite character, uh, Ryoga, who transforms into Pichan the, the pig. The guy, the guy, yes, yes. And, and the guy who cannot get his direction straight when he, he walks will, the map. Like, if he will literally take five days to get somewhere that's ten minutes away. That's his... I mean, that's his shtick, that's his shtick. That's his shtick, yeah. But like, this is so off-the-wall, kind of corny, that just seeing an American Live adaptation, they might make it even more oddball, per and se. This I... sounds like the height of Monty Python if they dabbled <laughs> with hallucinogenics. Yeah, Monty kinda. Python is more of its product of its time, in a way. I would say it's yes. like the perfect mix of uh, romantic comedy, slice of life, uh, kung fu, goofy antics, and... Very, um, I would say, well done nudity. Yeah, <laughs> which I think would be the major problem that doesn't translate well. Because the thing is, uh, Ranma when he transforms into a, into female form, still retains his personality, and it's also you got that uh, how you say it? I wouldn't say fish out water, but like that transplanted like mind into another body where trying like, to be a female and stuff. Like, so yeah. let me guess, the first episode is him playing with his tits. No, no, no. That's the thing. And the thing is, is like he's very tomboyish, standoffish. But, okay, the joke is, when he's a girl, he's like the cutest girl in school, and all the boys go after him. And it, like, it, it's It's like his own harem thing. It's like the harem anime before and, Lofina came in. And the thing is, oh, like God. he can't stand that attention. And then basically, the whole thing is, uh, Ranma kind of... Well, I think the, the, the purpose is, his father wants him to marry the father of the owner of the dojo, Tendo Akane, Akane right? Yep, yep. So, like, he... 
there's this amazing relationship between uh, Tendo Akane and Ranma, where it's basically two people who are in love with each other but just can't stand each other. But somehow they click. But somehow they click, uh-huh. you know. Yeah, and it's like, you know. This is like a, the artist, the artist of soul, Rumiko Takahashi. That's her shtick basically for every character she makes. Mm. Guy, girl hate each other, they end up falling in love at the end. Okay. So it's kind of like, it can be like an American kind of comedy, but at the same time, there's just so many nuances that makes it run my half. Yeah, I just feel well, like it's kung fu. It's it's many different Jusenkyu pools, and it's very zany references to Japanese culture. I would say culture. like Akane and Ranma's romance is very similar to maybe like a uh, Fry and Lila from Futurama, oh, where like they're okay. supposed to be together, they're destined to be together, but, but they, they hate each other. They don't really hate each other. They just can't seem to click all the time. They're, yeah. they're always at odds, but that's how they grow together. And I mean, I mean besides. Okay, again, I have to mention the nudity, <laughs> which very, works very well in the Asian perspective. Okay. You know, because it's like, there'll be scenes where she, uh, Ranma's like, you know, in, in the middle of a tournament, and then he falls into a swimming pool, and then, oh, now he's a chick. And he has to deal with that. And then, like, somehow, you know, you, you need to get hot water and cold water specifically. And the jokes pretty much are crafted, I would say that. I it's crafted say, around Japanese puns. It's crafted around, yeah. like, a Japanese person's uh, misusing the English language. Yeah. And there will be a lot of loss in translation if you try to westernize this at all. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like it's just too crazy, too Japanese to I guess so, <laughs> very yeah, Japanese, yeah. yeah. Uh, but if you had to recast it, hmm. Mm. If you had to if, if you had to do the American version, what Eddie Redmayne. Because Holy shit! <laughs> wait, wait, how the fuck would that work? And female Rama is a redhead. <laughs> he is so fucking androgynous. I and he can overact actually when you think yeah. about it. Right. The one good thing that came out of Danish girl was that we know he's a very pretty lady. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I see your logic there. I see your logic there. That's a quote right there. <laughs> Tom Oliver, Eddie Raymond, a very pretty lady. <laughs> Alright, so my number three is actually not on the list I've written. Um, I just thought about this. Number okay. three? Going wild. Azumanga Dayo. What? Okay, this is actually an anime slash manga about well, six, seven high school girls living in Japan. Uh-huh. It's a slice of life thing where... I'm sold already, actually. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's a very cutesy slice of life kind of show. Okay. It has this cute humor, all that, where Chio, a girl who basically skipped like so many grades to be in grade school, tries to graduate and stuff. So basically, they're, they're all the other friends that she makes in that classroom all pokes fun at her size. And she... There are a lot of short jokes, let's just say that. And the jokes about making fun of her pigtails and shit. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so, is this the anime where the girl's pigtails kind of like are detachable? Yeah, the, yes, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then people, and then all the other schools in her clique somehow thought that Chiyo's father is actually this giant orange cat thing that flies around with dead eyes saying Merry Christmas to everybody. It's and a all. hilarious show. actual and that is why we cannot adapt this show into American context. Hey, Tom. Welcome to anime. <laughs> I've not even scratched the surface. We haven't. Oh, no, you haven't. have already scratched the surface of this show. This show, in the words of uh, Mr. Toffee, is quite bad, bad shit, shit insane yeah, yeah. once in a while. Oh, and then to top that off, we have two teachers who are polar opposites of each other. One is a girl named Yukari. She, the most irresponsible teacher ever, basically, who can't drive for nuts. And then, and then you got like uh, yeah, Mio Chan, like uh, she is a gym teacher. She tries to be the paragon of goodness and everything, but she always gets one up by her best friend teacher because she knows her secrets and shit. 
Okay. Yeah, so it's a very big comedy, wordplay comedy, all that, a lot of Japanese humor and everything. So it's really, really hard to adapt this. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess so. I think we have the same problem as like maybe Ranma because like, you know, lost in translation, literally. Yeah. And but who would you have to cast if this was inevitably going to make it to the big screen? Well, if it's going to be a harem movie. Oh my god. No, no, I no, would no, cast harem, the harem. entire cast of Spring Breakers and just have them play against what they played in that movie. I guess Demi Lovato could be one of the students, I believe. Or maybe all the pop princesses right now, which would be uh, like Ariana Grande, Selena Gomez. Oh, there's actually a lot of running jokes in the anime, I remember. Like, uh, we've got this really cool, badass girl, Sasaki, who -hmm. basically wants to be cute. But the thing is, she's like a tall... Tomboy kind of chick. Lanky giraffe of a character. Yeah, yeah, lanky giraffe of a character. She's super cool everything, but... Deep down, she really wants she to, wants be, to cute. be kawaii. Yeah, kawaii, and she wants to touch cats, but they end up biting her because she looks frightening in she, a sense. She's too badass. Yeah. Okay. And okay. she 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 protects Chiochan because of her. Because she's a defender of all things cute, basically. No, I'm she's sur- actually my favorite character in the show. I'm surprised you chose this because I think the logical choice would have probably been Sailor Moon, man. Yeah, I mean, if you want to have like a bunch of girls. I don't you know, know. And the, the, then with the pop culture sensibility of how popular that show is. Yeah, I mean, Sailor Moon, I guess you could try to Americanize Who's Sailor Moon? A bit. Sailor Moon? Sailor Moon, yeah. You're, 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 you're so detached from dra- what's going dra- on here. Dragon Ball for chicks, basically. Uh. No, it's not! <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm being very, very general. I'm generalizing here. I'm generalizing here. Mm-hmm. It's its own thing. It's its own thing. Oh, we still okay, got two more let's entries. let's move on to number two. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, number two. Macross. Don't you fucking dare touch this. I think Shafiq can Hollywood. take this. Yeah. Okay, goddamn. So Macross is the Asian Star Wars. It's basically uh-huh. planes that transform to robots and you have to fight the fucking Zion Zaku. No, no, that's Gundam. My bad. <laughs> Zaku yes. is Gundam. Yes, ah, yes. You, but you have to fight you know, these giant alien dudes who are blue. And like it's the story of this scrappy young boy you know, who's like... Uh, oh, what's his name? Uh... That, that, I mean, that, that is his... You only you remember the American name, like, from Robotech. God damn it. You know, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, because the thing is, this was repackaged as Robotech, which is basically Macross plus, uh, what was that? The, the cycle suit show again? Uh, Mospeda, right? Mospeda, yeah. And, like, I think, like, unfortunately, my introduction to the Macross series was through Robotech when they played it in uh, on TV Tiga back in Malaysia, back in the... Back I in reme- the 80s. Eight- back those in the eighties. Oh my god, I'm aging myself. This old but, person corner. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, speaking here from senior citizen section, <laughs> uh, but like Macross, I think okay. The the reason why I, uh, like, uh, why I'm very vehement against this uh, against this is because it had been announced that they were going to attempt this, and they're going to have Toby Maguire play the lead. What? And this what? was probably what? during this was during the height of his Spider Man like success. Even. So Even this he was going to be old. Rick Baker. Oh my god. I don't know. And then like, uh, who would they cast as Ray Fokker? And Ray like, Fokker, yeah. Oh god. I keep thinking Rick Baker. Yeah. Rick Baker? From mm. Robotech, yeah. <laughs> but still, I would say, um, no, don't touch the 10-foot pole. Hollywood, you fucking already have Star Wars. You also have Gardens of the Galaxy now. You have two major space operas. You don't need a third one. Yeah, and okay. let Japan handle this because there's been amazing TV show after TV show after this. The OVAs are like, you know, beautiful. I, I would seriously recommend for all you like not aware of Macross, okay, check out the original Do You Remember Love movie and the series that followed. 
Definitely Macross Plus, definitely Macross 7. Because uh. the biggest fault in remaking this is basically, you're just making another Star Wars film, basically, except mm-hmm. without the Star Wars name. It's going to fail when you adapt it, period. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a clone, and whatever that separates it, what, you're going to have the giant robot, yeah, I'm sure it'll be rendered really nice, but everything else is going to fall flat. Okay. Yeah, yeah but yeah, leave Macross alone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm still desperate for more Macross right now at this point in time. Yeah. So, in the wee bits of the night too. You probably want to watch it right now, right? Dude, yeah, I miss that show. It's so good. Uh, then probably, what would be your number one, the Mr. Number one. Toffee? Oh, yes. My number one pick is... I think everyone would probably know about Do we this. need a drum roll for this? Yeah, sure. Akira. Leave oh, Akira yeah. alone. <laughs> well, I have bad no- noise. Bad news. <laughs> it's bad, bad news. noise. We're making bad noises. Oh, bad news. Bad news yeah. does make bad noise, sir. Yep. Mm-hmm. The bad news is it's probably gonna happen. Yeah. And it looks like Mr. Jordan Peele of Kim Peele and Get Out fame wants to give it a go. What's the pedigree? That's why I don't understand. What has he done that warrants him to be able to, like you know, attempt such a classic five? Don't things? don't oh. get me wrong. I mean, Get Out was good. Key and Peele, the show was great. But mm. for him to just suddenly do this. It's like signing your own death warrant with well, anime fans. To be fair, Marvel have done this before, where they've gone people who've done small, okay, well made, but completely not connected things, and then gone on to make these big Marvel super shows, which have been fantastic. Like uh, Civil War, right? Directed yeah, by the Russo brothers. Before yeah. this was Community and one film, which nobody watched. I think, and they produced Winter Soldier. I think there's an adaptation that cannot win because when you adapt it with all of its post-apocalyptic trappings and whatnot, mm. biker gangs, all that, we kind of have those movies already in, in in American stylings and everything. Mad Max, for one, being one of them, yeah. although that's more of a desert than in a city. Yeah. You got Blade, I mean, I won't say Blade Runner because that's more proper sci-fi, close, you know, cyberpunk and whatnot. Now, post-apocalyptic, I mean, were there any other movies post-apocalyptic that, that came out in America? I mean, American-style stuff? Matrix, whatnot? Yeah. Matrix Revolution, Dawn Matrix. of the Dead was actually kind of post-apocalyptic. Exactly. So to do this, it's basically you kind of, you even if you hit the key scenes, it'll still fall in that same problem that Ghost in the Shell had. You're just doing it scene by scene. And the original exists. Why the hell do you want to remake something that already influenced other movies that came out and then you released this in 2018, 19, and 20? Mm, but I would say this more that same logic you know like Akira is I mean along with Ghost in the Shell two very groundbreaking animes that not only like you know push the genre past it's more uh, rudimentary or more like it, it, it's these are the movies that officially said look this isn't just for kids there's adult versions of things like this like you know anime and manga it has a wide spectrum of an audience yeah. and like this is what made the West pay attention to anime. Like, uh-huh. before Dragon Ball, like, Akira and Ghost in the Shell went over and dented the market there. And what, what about Ninja Scroll? You think that was to be attention? Oh, God. Leave Ninja Scroll alone, too, <laughs> as well. God damn. I'm still waiting for the sequel for that, you know? When it was did like, Akira hit, come out? 1988? 80, yeah, 88. 80s. Very... And, like, the thing is, it was so groundbreaking, not only in its animation, not only in its story, but in the fact how adult it was. And, yeah. like, I do... I can, I'll agree. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, the West had like Ralph Bakshi. Ooh, okay. Yeah, you know, you, you had the Ralph Bakshis. You had like the heavy metal animation. You had Fire and Ice. You know, you even had like Fritz the Cat and stuff like that. Like, you know, cartoons for adults, right? But this is like, Akira was cartoons for smart adults. 
Yes, and as much as like you know the stories for both Akira and Ghost in the Shell, after all this time, yeah, I get it. It, it didn't age well. It's a little bit convoluted, but you have to understand the technical brilliance, mm. especially of its time, and the fact that you know for Hollywood to need to regurgitate. Regurgitate. Like, Regurgitate. Yeah, like, can you just leave this shit alone? Like, mm-hmm. Now, having said that, I mean, I don't want it to be a movie. But as a TV series... With the right director, probably. No, and no, no. Because I would rather they would do a TV series on the manga. Because that was much more expanded. Yo, that manga was a tome. <laughs> it superseded the, the movie in so many ways. I can see this being a Netflix thing. With what kind of characters are they going to be? They will have to be sort of Americanized, I guess. Unfortunately, and who would I cast as Canada? Seriously, so he it's gonna be... have the death note problem, is what you're saying. Oh, it yeah. might have the death note problem, but it might have the death note success, maybe. But we can't. We're predicting, you know. Yeah, yeah all we know is that people were pissed. Yeah, as a film adaptation, it will not work. Hundred percent. I mean, but you're not as a television thing. It can work. I mean, you're not really helping the whitewash argument too, you know. Yeah. Especially like in this day and age, where it's like it seems to be coming too fast, too quickly. Because I feel that Akira itself, it's actually the whole. It's a story basically about like sci-fi crazy shit happening, basically, if I recall. I mean, my, my major argument would be like, why are you gonna remake a masterpiece? Leave exactly, it alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I think like yeah, I totally agree. The number one anime manga, not to be touched at all. I mean, even by, even a Japanese live action version. It may not work. It may not work. Yeah. So it's sacrosanct is what you're saying. Sacrilegious. Say, yeah, no, because there's, there's, there's certain things that just won't translate well into a different format. Yeah. I mean, even Akira the movie itself uh, is a very uh, summarized... And there's very, a condensed version of the manga. It's an extremely condensed version of the manga. You're just going to anger more people. Yeah. Why, why are you trying? You know, I doubt there's... I doubt there were fans who asked for a Ghost in the Shell live-action version to be done in Hollywood. Exactly. I'm pretty sure, like, you know... Once you listen to the review, boys and girls, after this segment... You'll right? find out why. Yeah. Jesus but, Christ. But definitely, if anything, that should be reason enough to not touch Akira. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, to sort of cap this off, like, I, I know that Hollywood just is running out of ideas and they want to take ideas left and right in here, but they should actually try to learn to see what makes a good adaptation, especially from the anime side of things, like... Take a look at Rooney Kenshin, the live-action series. Yeah. Yeah, the three movies. Uh, those were done really well. I think it had the perfect amount of fan service as well. Yeah. yeah. And I might get crucified for this. Speed Racer by the Wachowski brothers. I didn't mind that movie at all, it actually. It was actually not bad. Not I mean, bad. It had a very weird pace, especially in the middle where the villain was just explaining the whole movie with all these montage and cutscenes. Again, that sounds like a bad habit that a lot of Japanese anime. I think they were just poking fun of it. In a but sense, I was I blaming know. this more. I, I blame this more on the Wachowskis for like you don't have to stay too true. Yeah. To the source material, but at the same time, um, I guess this is also more akin to like the Wachowskis kind of losing the plot. And all in all, yeah, good adaptations can be made, but Hollywood, please think this through. Think yeah, this they through. never think this shit through. Mm. Anyway, mm. let's get on to our review of Ghost in the Shell. We're right after this. This is the last scene podcast with a special message for our growing audience, especially in Vietnam and the Philippines. Thanks. We're glad that our Asian persuasions made for some actual sensation. We really appreciate the love and props and hope 
to continue delivering more awesome shows and insightful critiques. Do share the show to your pals and your pals' pals. Subscribe to our SoundCloud page. Check out our Facebook and Instagram page at Lasking Podcast. Go harass us on Twitter at Lasking Podcast as well. With that, have a nice day. And we're back! Welcome, everybody. We are on the second half of the Last King podcast show. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the 2017 live adaptation of Ghost in the Shell. Gits. Yes, Gits. I like that. I like that shorthand form. Anyway, this show, I mean, based off the old school anime back in 1995, and also the manga series, let's not forget, yeah. where Major Kusanagi got in you know, comical form and all that. Masamun Shiro actually did the manga really... I really like his art style and everything. I'm sure Shafiq yeah, loves it too. Definitely very memorable. unique yes. and very memorable. Yeah, I'm, and, oh. I'm not familiar with the manga, but I did watch the anime. Ah, yes, And yes. this was... I'm not very familiar with anime. I'll say that out now. I've only seen very few, but this one really astounded me just because whilst there's some elements which I didn't appreciate because I guess it doesn't translate well to Western sensibilities in terms of the narrative, some of the storytelling, the convoluted the mess. Phil- yeah, the philosophical stuff yeah, things yeah, going on. It's basically. the kind of movie you need to watch more than once. Yeah. Yeah. Really get a, you had to be sober watching it, basically. Yeah, but I could definitely tell it was ahead of its time in terms of what they tried to do and the really bold leaves they took in terms of how they told the story. Yeah. Namely, how the protagonist isn't the main element of the story. She's an incidental part in something... A wider. grander scale. I would yeah. say, yeah, she's a conduit to the, the rest of the world. Yeah, and, yeah. And you can actually thank her, yeah, Mamoru Oshii for doing all this. He's, he's, this is like his, he's done a lot of anime, like Pat Lieber and Urusei Yatsura of all things, but this is like his standout moment where yeah. you got to take him seriously. This is his masterwork. His masterwork. I definitely work. agree with that. Yes. I mean, I mean shout-outs to Pat Lieber. Yeah. <laughs> I miss and I love that show. Yeah, you should, uh, have you seen the live-action one? Yeah, Right. Okay, okay. Anyway, so he did the first film, uh, 1995, and he did the sequel. I believe it was 2002, three. It yeah, was Ghost in the Shell, Shell Two. Innocence, where they had yeah. a lot of very unnecessary CGI, but I guess because it was the the hot thing to do at that point of time. Because when I watch Ghost in the Shell again, like after for so long, it holds up. Oh my god, it still yeah. holds up up to this day. Like, the art style for sure, definitely. Even, and even the story as well, in a sense, like it as spot because of this show and the manga itself. We've seen a lot of other movies like The Matrix and whatnot following, you know, getting influence from Ghost in the Shell style. Yeah. The cyberpunk kind of feel and look and everything. But then you can also say that Blade Runner did it first. Yes, Blade Runner, <laughs> of course, of course. Well, it's like a back and forth thing. Yeah, basically. we could spend hours talking about who did what first, la la la. But we're going to spend half an hour just talking about how shitty Ghost in the Shell remake with oh, Scarlett Johansson is. How okay. I got to <laughs> ask, I got to ask. Did they do this shot by shot, this new 2017 remake? Yes and no. Yes and no, yeah. I mean, Uh, there's a lot of callbacks, there's a lot of references, there's a lot of moments where it's literally like the filmmaker or the studio saying like, hey, remember that scene from like the anime that you loved so much in 95? 
we're gonna do it again. But without what made it such an impactful scene in the first place. Like, you know, like, remember that fight scene with Motoko and the guy in the shallow pool? Yes, And yes. when you see that animated, and you know it's hand-drawn, like, some asshole had to do frame-by-frame animations, especially when they do the full uh, slow motion. Yeah. Oh my it's god, yes. It's some guy, like, drawing a hundred frames of a, of, of a motion that should take three seconds to occur. Mm. And then when you see it in live action, all of that is lost. It's oh, just, yeah. it's a... Lost in translation. It's lost a, in, yeah. It's a mediocre <laughs> action scene. Ex- extremely, yeah. I mean, like, if you want to compare it to, like, what it inspired, stuff like The Matrix, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, or, like, you know, how we've come so far in action scenes and all that, right? It felt so, I would say, it's so baity, I don't know, in, in a sense that, like, hey, you, you like this? Yeah, here it is. You know, it, it doesn't add to the story. It doesn't, like, give you that the, the thrill of watching a technical marvel. You just kind of feel like, oh, okay, yeah, I remember that. Can, can, can you show me the new stuff? Can you tell me what it is that you're going to do with this product? What are you going to do with this brand? Yeah, mm-hmm. so we should preface this. As usual, this is going to be a very spoiler-heavy thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, but go honestly, ahead, go ahead. Um, you know, if you want to watch a good film, watch the 1995 one. It's available in most places. You can get on Amazon for... $10 or something. I'm sure there are other places as well. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, totally. In the UK, you would have gotten it on the manga distributor, that company. I watched it on Netflix, actually, back in Europe. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so that was nice and easy. And the subtitle, well, unfortunately, it was a dubbed version, Oh. which is a bit unfortunate. Depends, there's like two dubs I'm aware of. Wait, there are two dubs for Ghost I in the Shell? I think there's the 1995 one, and then there's the re-release one. Oh, the, the version 2.0, right? Something like that. Yeah, there was a special edition. That I think I saw released. the 2.0 one where... They actually try to emote a little bit. Okay, two po- anything that's, any dubbing that's done within 2011 to 2017, that's actually a lot more effort being put into it. Yeah, mm. because they realised, oh, people actually want to hear actual decent uh, performance. Yeah. But anyway, let's stop uh, sucking that particular dick. Okay, okay. Uh, I want to just ask as well, like, because Ghost in the Shell had a really complex storyline... How was it done in the 2017 movie? They don't do that story. By God, what the fuck? They dumb it down for the dumb people. Okay, so the original one is all about what does it mean to be human? Uh, Is an AI no longer an AI when it doesn't refer to itself as an AI? All those big, complicated questions. Yeah, those very lovely, uh, like those... Uh, things about sentience, existentialism, you know. Like what, what defines existence, right? Uh, what, stuff? what makes you a person, you know? Mm. Yeah, and instead they did a shitty version of me- Memento. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god. Yeah, because she doesn't know who she is and it's kind of a journey of self-discovery. Who was I really? I'm having these weird memories of something from before and then she finds a big shock horror. Oh, the past they told me never actually happened. I want to say it's That's like, the Anisiac storyline. Yeah, the yeah. trope. Total Recall. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I haven't seen Total Recall. I'm going with what I, I know. Have, I have a funny feeling that we're going to be just referencing superior science fiction movies. Yeah, well... This is the lasting trademark, so yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yes, so. I'm going to start by saying the few redeeming features and why they don't redeem it that much. Okay. As- aesthetically, it wasn't an unpleasant film to look at. Yeah, it's I very felt pretty, I agree. It's very pretty, Although, I kind of feel like this is kind of a demo reel of what Blade Runner 2049 is going to look like. Because so? It's not the same production company. It's not the same production same company, but that's what I felt like I was seeing. Like, yeah. Okay, you have all oh, these man. big uh, adverts, all these 3D hologram stuff happening. It's like, look how pretty it is. Like, okay, that's cool. I you... felt more like, look at how obnoxious it is. Like, like, we need to just clutter all the scenery with stuff to distract you yeah. from the mm. shitty stories. Have you seen <laughs> uh, that Terry Gilliam film, Zero Theorem? 
Oh no, not yes. Zero Theorem. No. Yeah, it's a bit like that, you know, all that intrusive um, advertising. Gilliam had a reason for that. Whereas uh, yeah. this is just fluff. Not even dystopian, this is a world where we have corporations ruling everything. But do you also kind of feel like, since Blade Runner, why are you trying to show us a world? Like, this is the vision of the future. You've had the same vision of the future for the last 20 years. You probably Take, reuse props for all you know. And, and like, here's another yeah. thing. is like, when you watch a movie like, say, Minority Report, there you go, ding, referencing another, a superior exactly. science fiction movie. Like, their vision of the future is like, everything is just clean, nothing intrusive. The only thing that's intrusive is probably, like, that moment on the subway where Tom Cruise was, like, looking at this advertisement and, like, his face pops up and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's very, um, I would say, subtle. That's the word, <laughs> subtle. And, and do you know like, what the scary thing is? They're doing it nowadays. There oh. are actual, actual advertising which will change when they recognize you. Yeah, oh. that, that's going to be a thing. And then, like, I'm pretty sure in the future, there's not going to be some gigantic hologram telling you to buy this product. We and don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but whatever. I just wanted to say, mm. aesthetically... Nothing completely at the ordinary, but pleasant to look at. Uh, uh, yeah. But what about Scarlett Johansson? I mean, she's a really top-tier actress. Go straight into the <laughs> oh, um, would she, that be a good thing? Casting, she... casting-wise, there were a few alright casting choices. Okay, if you want to go with Scarlett Johansson, she was not a great choice. She does a decent job of emoting certain okay. things when she's having that crisis of identity. The kind of it's not super subtle, but the facial animations rather than saying, I don't know who I am anymore. It's a bit more show rather than tell, which I give it some plus points for. Okay. Um, I felt like the guy who did uh, Bato, he did the best with what he had. But Pillow as Dick or something, right? Yeah, some English uh, actor. Is he like really? new? I mean, I've never heard of his name before. He's from Game of Thrones, I think. Mm. He, he looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. And also uh, the Section 9 chief. Beat Takeshi himself. Yeah. Mm. I feel like he... Beat Well, he's one of those old school actors who, even in a crappy film, he does a good enough job. And But he's literally playing himself. Which is fine. <laughs> like, that's the same character he plays in all his fucking movies, actually. Hey, you know what? If you can heighten the movie, go ahead, do it, but do that, do that. he doesn't really heighten the movie. Like, for me, Beat Takeshi's uh, moments is like, literally like, oh, remember this is a Japanese animation? Here's a Japanese guy. And he's speaking Japanese. And people are like, responding to him in English. And he's like... You can tell that he's not even acting with the other actor. It's like two singles where he's like, just talking to the camera. Like we, we have to intercut this guy in somehow. Okay, wait, wait. Get back up, back up. So this is still the same Section Nine running in the Tokyo hybrid place, like in the yeah, original movie, right? Section Nine. Yeah, they yeah. mentioned that a few times. And instead of a uh, war between the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the Ministry of Defense, it's Ministry of Defense and some um, corporation, some corporation, Hanka, right. yeah. which is run by a white dude. And it's in Japan because apparently Japan is not isolationist anymore in this future. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they suddenly are very liberal with their immigration policies because there's so many white people in Japan. <laughs> so Japan is 98.5% Japanese people. It's like Singapore all of a sudden. Yeah. It's like, when the fuck did this happen? I wouldn't even say that. I would just say, like, they cast it with these people and then, like, Beat Takeshi was literally like, okay, we need to put some Asian in here. Yeah, because otherwise... Because nobody, nobody knows who the fuck Jin Han is. <laughs> Shout yeah. out to our, our Singaporean actor. Oh, yes. How was his debut... I mean, not sorry, not debut role. Like, how is his role in Ghost in the Shell? Even less important than he was in the Honestly? <laughs> oh, my God. That's an achievement unlocked. He did a little more in this movie than he did in, like, 2000... Whatever movie? 2014? Like, the end of the world movie? Oh, yeah, 2014. Ugh. 
2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah, bad. My in, bad. In this film, he has three lines of dialogue and one kind of interesting action scene. And an amazing haircut, sir. Wow, he's bringing yeah. back the <laughs> the half mullet. And <laughs> the worst part is, is that they gave a little nugget of information, which could have been a very interesting little side story, where he doesn't have any augmentations at all. The closest uh, example to the original anime is that one guy who only has a minor braid augmentation. Oh, that was the new guy, the new guy, right? The new guy. I can't remember his name. I think he's the new guy, yeah. Yeah, he's he, playing oh, that character. Okay, yeah, okay. But in this one, he doesn't have any, he just says, I'm pure. And I feel like they could have maybe dealt with, maybe there's a subset of humanity who has no augmentations because maybe they can't afford it. Maybe there's a religious aspect. And I thought, oh, maybe this could be a thing that they could talk about. Nope. He mentions it once and then... Let's focus on a cybernetic uh, lady who kind of looks like she's naked. <laughs> right, right. So, Scar, Scar Joe is basically like latex suit and everything, right? Yeah. They... So, let's talk about... Scarlett Johansson? You want to just like, go off on her a bit? Because I feel she was not... I mean, whitewashing aside. Okay, everybody's hyping up the fact that, oh, they shouldn't have had oh, oh, Scarlett Johansson play Makoko... A.K.A. was again? Major Kusanagi. Killian, whatever. It's yeah. another name. Okay, right. And then like, okay, she's supposed to play a robot. She's supposed to be unemotional. She's supposed to be empathetic. She's supposed to be like some sort of like plastic Barbie doll with the brain of a human being. Mm-hmm. And like when you watch the anime and you can see that, that cold dead eyes, the way yeah, they yeah. animate her, and it's like you kind of feel for her. And then like just through the strong voice acting, okay, depending on the Japanese version, which, you know, you can definitely sense that. Mm. I don't know about the dubs, you know, because I didn't see the dubs. But I see, see, I see the standard complex dubs. Like, they, they, they nail it, they nail it. I mm. guess so, but like, when you see Scarlett Johansson, and it, like this super wooden plastic edit, uh, acting, right? And you just look at her and like, she, she doesn't look like a cyborg or a robot trying to come to terms with humanity. She just looks bored as fuck. <laughs> she does look very... She looks like she doesn't give, she doesn't <laughs> care. You know, and sh- this is a paycheck. I'm, I'm just gonna, like, you know, sleep through this movie. Well, it can be hard to play an... an I mean, Blade Runner can say hello because you got Rutger Howe playing an android back then, right? But, I mean, so. you don't even go as far back as that. Just fucking, like, Ex Machina. Yeah. Uh, Ex Machina, Look at right. that. That's how you play a robot. Okay, That's how okay. you play a robot trying to come to terms with humanity, you know? Point like, But still, I mean... No feelings from what they what she's did doing. what they can to make her look like the character, but they did nothing for, like, to make her... Like, she literally has to carry this entire movie on her shoulders. And she doesn't do a good job and, at all. And she, like, it's not even not doing a good job. Like, she didn't just get crushed by the weight of, like, all this expectation. She literally didn't care. <laughs> she know? definitely was not invested in this project whatsoever. It's quite obvious. I mean, it's like, this is her downtime between Avengers movies. Yeah. And like, oh, I just need to wear, like, a latex suit and then, like, you know, do some kung fu once in a while. And I guess because Marvel still doesn't want to make a Black Widow standalone film, they're going to... So this seems more like a substitute, yeah. in a sense. There are even scenes where she does that knee slide thing which happened in Iron Man 2 and in yeah, Avengers. It, it, she does, you know, Black Widow moves. Yeah. yeah, even the, you know, that iconic fight scene which they recreate on the shallow water, it's like, kind of like watching Black Widow fights. Would you agree that that scene where she comes out of predator mode and she walks towards the camera and she just stares you down, she looks so goofy and awkward as fuck. It does. I I feel like I need like you don't buy it. Like I needed an extra month of processing and rotoscoping to make it look good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not just the the effects, but the 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 
the face she decides to use. Yeah, it, it was a bad choice. I don't her part or the director's parts. Do we still get to see like uh, different directors' hands turning to like giant mechanical thingies yeah. coming yeah. out and everything? We, we see we see a secretary do that in a in a car. Look, let's just let's just call it out, you know, like oh. or even a giant mechanical tank. Of right. course, of course, we see it. Of yeah. course, the spider tank appears. Yeah, because, because it's it the big action scene. Because it existed in the first movie, ah. and it's so like, it's like a shot by like again, shot by shot, lah, basically. They the they borrow the same shots and they change the storyline to mean, make it a weaker story. I would uh. even say shot by shot. It would be like literally uh, some executive went like, okay, these are the things that people remember, or these are the highlights of the original movie. Okay, we take those and then we thread together our own storyline in between. And then probably somebody like, no, 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 the, the story is about exist- existentialism, it's about humanity, it's about sentience. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 just, it's, 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 she, she lost her memory. Then she finds her memory, and he's the bad guy. And it's like, okay. Yeah, and she reconnects with her mother because we have to have that kind of way to humanize her. Speaking of things that kind of stood out for no, I mean, like, that, that added for no reason. Like that scene where she, like, uh, bought the prostitute. Yeah. And she asked her, like, are you human? Yeah. And then like that like happens for four seconds. And, like, okay, what's the point of that? Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah, and then there's that scene where she's kind of touching her weird seductively. It's like, what are you trying to do with this segment? Are you trying to say that she doesn't feel like human? Does she not know what humans feel like? Why does she care? She she realizes she is a weapon to be used for this counterterrorism unit. Why does she care what humans feel like? Why does she suddenly care all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah. Because they're trying to ape Robocop too. <laughs> that and scene where, like, you know, uh, Murphy's wife touches his lips, it's cold. It's mm-hmm. like, yes, I'm, I'm a machine now. You know, it's like, look, it's so obvious. Like, let's look at stuff that's been done in the past. We repackage this because our audience doesn't know. They don't care. Yeah, they're too stupid to really think this through. We're just going to do whatever we of want. Of course, they'll, like, buy a ticket because Scarlett Johansson could be naked. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, they no. even fucked that up. <laughs> yeah, they even fucked that up, yes! This is a PG-13 movie, right? Yeah, so, so she's a complete Barbie doll. I'm pretty sure you're a lot of one nipple in a PG-13 Yeah, movie. yeah, you are. Or and one swear I think we got too. it from the guys, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, so obviously, you guys are not fans, so... Uh, I, I, let me say... So again, uh, who, is this movie even targeted for anime guys like me? No! no. It's, <laughs> I don't know who they're targeting. It's, it fails as a thriller. It fails as a sci-fi uh, concept story. It's a boring as fuck in terms of uh, drama and the action is so mediocre pa- yeah. <laughs> power rangers have better action scenes than this what? one yes <laughs> i will stand by my my review of power rangers honestly the final fight scene yes it was campy it was heavy cgi it was much more fun than whatever the fuck this was <laughs> i think it was in the Interesting. show yeah it it, it <laughs> pun intended has an identity crisis mm-hmm. it yeah. has no idea who it is it's trying to please and do you know what the worst sin is of all? And what? it's not the whitewashing. It's not, you know, the fact that it's repackaging a classic. It's boring. Yeah. It's not even that long a film. It's, I think, one hour 40. It dragged on, yeah. It, halfway through, I was looking at my watch saying, okay, are you going to wrap up now? Oh, no, you're still going to spend this extra time exploring this completely stupid thing. They even include the boat scene where she talks to Bato. Bato, yeah. yeah. Bato. And it's completely unnecessary in the scope of the story. But totally necessary in the original film because that's character development and that's showing the relationship between Bato and the, the two of them yeah, yeah because scene, but yeah I agree with you in this movie it's like okay that's a, that's, a, that's one of the many references you don't need to include yeah no, nobody remembers that it's but, only there because they say oh do you remember that scene where she talks about how she likes the cold because it reminds her that she's alive or some kind of shit mm. she kind of references it but no it's just an excuse for her to be alone with him to say I'm not evil, even though the corporation is saying I am. Because 
they're doing exactly the same fucking corporation is evil bullshit they've done in almost every film where the corporation is the bad dude. Since Robocop. Since Robocop. Holy crap. Which this movie is unfortunately reminding me of. I yeah. mean, the remake, the, the terrible remake. The terrible <laughs> remake. The, is, yeah. the terrible remake of Robocop is better than this one. Okay, that's, that's insane. Because yeah, definitely. that at least tried to do something different and it it's nice to see Michael Keaton give a fuck to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was a good bad guy. He Definitely was a good, good bad, bad guy. guy. And I but think he doesn't hold a candle to Clarence Bordeaux. Of course, of okay. course. <laughs> nothing, nothing can. Oh, my nerd so, yeah, totally going to bring it up at the end. So he's going to wrap it up. What's your final rating for this travesty? Two. I'll give it a three. Oh, oh okay. You're pretty nice, Shafiq. No, no. I'll give it a three for three main reasons. I love the art direction. Uh-huh. Like, on a technical level, it's a very pretty looking movie. Uh, I would say one more point because, like, you know what? If this would inspire or, like, give people who are not aware of Ghost in the Shell or the anime or the manga or the amazing TV show, mm-hmm. you know, like, if this will, like, allow people to, like, seek out that source material, if it was to inspire a new generation of people and, like, like say, holy shit, this movie's a piece of shit, but the original thing, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, if it creates new anime fans, definitely. And... I'm a fan of Scarlett Johansson. And she did a shitty job, but you know, yeah. it's nice to see her skin tight outfit. So <laughs> based on what you said, you're saying that this movie might be bad, it's terrible, but it's not enough to actually dent the legacy of Ghost well, in the that's Shell. The thing. The original exists. That's yeah. the thing. Unless they actually remove the original, it's always going to be there. It doesn't matter how bad this film is. But you have to understand, in the world of SEO, like when you type in Ghost in the Shell, this, this is going to come up first. Not the yeah. anime. Yeah. yeah, unless they really just bomb the shit out of it. The reason why I gave it a two is whilst I did like the art direction and some characters didn't hate, it's just the worst sin any film can have is to bore me. Mm. Because it's not cheap to go see films in a cinema anymore. Yeah. And Oh god, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I was just sitting there thinking, there worst there are bad films I've seen in cinema before, which I was fine paying money to see because at the time there was something which captured my attention. And it entertained you, yes. Yeah. Here I was so bored, I immediately had to go out and watch the original just to get the bad taste out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like we do need to mention the elephant in the room, which is the whitewashing scandal, which everyone has been harping on. It's the least of this movie's problems. And I just want to say one thing. The loudest voices about the cultural appropriation whitewashing has been from outside Japan, especially in terms of minority people, especially in the States. Mm -hmm. It's been a big controversy. And I agree that it is an issue in Hollywood. Ghost in a Shell isn't necessarily the film where you want to talk about it because it's, nah, yeah, it's such a forgettable film and the, the Japanese don't care because they're probably not going to watch the film anyway because they have the original. Yeah, there are probably re-screenings of the, that show right now as you speak, you know, in like culture to the cinemas and whatnot. Yeah, and there are some definitely lazy racist moments in the film, but that's not the issue. The issue is just that it was a hackney job by a mediocre director with a bad editing department with a production company that didn't know what they were doing so with lazy <laughs> fucking <laughs> actors. Speaking of the director, Mr. Rupert Sanders, let me yeah. just mention his uh, previous effort. Ooh, uh, this thing over here. Uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. Which was bleh. Pretty bad. Yeah. Right? And that's about it. Mm. Okay. <laughs> oh, that, that's his <laughs> only other one. I can't... I, I didn't even, uh, like, I remember when I was researching for this review, and I, like, I saw that, and like, yeah, that's enough reason not to trust this guy with this. <laughs> because yeah. the thing is, even you made Snow White 
Blair. Yeah, and <laughs> and you give him something like goes in the shell. <laughs> and to be honest, I didn't mind Snow White and the Huntsman because there were some interesting elements, kind of going on. Which really, I th- you like the baddest Snow White. <laughs> well, she was the least interesting part. I thought like Charlize Theron did a very good job as the queen. Dude, Charlize Theron is a bomb. Yeah. So then I don't really want to talk about Ghost in the Shell anymore because fuck this movie, man. <laughs> fuck this movie. <laughs> Uh, it's actually making me angry thinking about I took time out of my day to watch that crap uh. alright on that note that's it for our show um, I believe we can cap it off right now right Shafiq well we can definitely cap it off so probably boys and girls remember we're The Last King Podcast come to our website thelastking.net don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes okay and also the social medias you know look for us at Last King Podcast you know, everything matters. Tell us what you think about Ghost in the Shell. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Yeah, are you going to watch the original if you haven't? It's That's the main takeaway. Don't go see this movie. Stop buying into this empty remake culture that we have where we take these great high-concept things from from the past and dumb it down to the lowest common denominator where it's a nice, trendy light show. Don't buy into it. There are better versions of this that you can watch. You can watch... Uh, Ex Machina, you can play Deus Ex, the recent ones, which are better versions of the same idea of identity crisis, of how far does, you know, do we lose our humanity when we augment ourselves. But I think maybe on a closing note, right, if you're one of those assholes who watch these kind of things because, oh, I can't enjoy the originals because I don't like to read subtitles, big fuck you. Exactly. Okay, we don't you deserve a punch in the face. We, we, we don't need you as our audience, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so on that note... Yeah. This is the Last King Podcast. I've been your co-host, um, Major. Let's uh, upgrade myself. I'm going to be General Shafiq. Today. General Shafiq. I'm Mr. Tafi. And I am Eccentric Tom. This has been the Last King Podcast. Signing out. <laughs> <laughs>